the blast from our past network. Hello and welcome to the Blast From Our Past podcast, where the podcast that gives you full-on movie breakdowns, TV show reviews, and a whole lot more, all from the things of our nostalgic past. I'm Adam. I'm John. And today, we have got an Australian episode for you. <laughs> huh? uh, specifically, we've got a Tasmanian episode for yeah. people. So we are going to be talking the 1988 Australian film, Young Einstein. We are going to also recast Young Einstein using actors of today, and we are going to be talking the uh, Looney Tune cartoon Tasmania from the early 90s. So, um, yeah, that's what we got going on. And I think a lot of people are asking themselves right now, what the hell is Young Einstein? <laughs> I don't think so, Adam, and I'm going to tell you why. When I mentioned this film to our sister, she clearly remembered it. Okay. And even my wife, who actually was like, I don't remember this before I started watching it. And then after I started watching it, she went, oh, this one. Okay. So I think it was definitely one. And maybe maybe you were just too young for it to hit, because I think there was a very specific time in which it was kind of popular with uh, young American kids. So maybe you just missed it. There were two moments that flashed while I was watching this that were like, oh, I know what's going to happen next. Like, that's it. And then the rest of it, I'm like, I was blank. So it was, <laughs> it's basically a new-to-me film okay. other than two small scenes. Okay. Well, at least there was those two small scenes, scenes so that we know that at least you do have some recollection of this being a thing. Yeah. Yep. Yes. Uh, it definitely was there somehow. Uh, so, yeah. So that's as a kind of a historical retelling. We'll talk about that once we get into the film. Mm-hmm. Um, 1988. I want to recall that wonderful year. Could you tell us a little bit more about 1988? Yeah, uh, we. I find I found that we have done a lot of movies from 1988. 1988 was a good year for good movies. Uh, this film was released on August 4th of 1988. The Billboard Top 100 single was a song called "Roll with It" by Steve Winwood. I think it's one of the, I mean, I don't think of that one as like a top Steve Winwood song, but it is one I've heard of before. Yep. Uh, no surprise, Cosby Show was topping the Nielsen ratings. Yep. The New York Times bestseller was a book called Alaska by James Michener, who is an author. I've definitely seen his name before, but Alaska is not a, a book I recognize. Okay. Uh, in video games, uh, a game that had just come out, I believe, by Capcom. I sh- should have written that part down, but it was called Bionic Commando, which I have a vague recollection of. Okay, yeah, yeah no, I've heard of them. And also in 1988, that, w- that was when Doppler radar was invented by a man named Christian Andreas Doppler, which in my head, I'm like, Whoa. I thought Doppler had been around a lot longer than that. Yeah. Oh, man, that's something we're going to have to tie into the trivia show. Because I, I, th- I could have sworn Doppler was earlier than that. Yep. But yeah, that's oh. when it, that was when it was invented. And that was 1988. All right. 1988. We're talking Young Einstein. This is... And I, I'm, 
I don't even know what to say, John. Let's uh, let's get into the film. This episode of the Blast from Our Past podcast is brought to you by 80stees.com. The BFOP Network has partnered with 80stees.com to uh, give you guys a fantastic deal. If you go to 80stees.com and use our code BFOP, that's B-F-O-P, you will get 30% off your entire order. I've got a shirt that's come in. It is fantastic. They have got tons of different merch options for any kind of 80s thing that you love. I can guarantee you're going to find it on 80stees.com. Their shirts are awesome quality. The one i am got on right now is fantastic and soft. Fits perfect. So make sure you go to 80stees.com and use the code BFOP, that's B-F-O-P, for 30% off your order. All right, Young Einstein from 1988. It was written, directed, produced, and starring Yahoo Sirius. Yeah. The hell kind of name is that? This is the only thing I remember him from, but man, I never forgot his name. Yeah, he um, obviously was his own kind of, you know, film guy, and he did uh, two other movies after this. This was his first one. He did one called Reckless Kelly and did one called Mr. Accident. John, did you watch any of those? I don't recognize any of those. Now, there you go. Now, he was born Greg gomez Peed in Cardiff, New South Wales, Australia. Okay. But obviously his uh, stage name, or maybe he cha- he must have changed his name to Yahoo Sirius because I saw that he married someone and then they took the last name of Sirius. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so it's not just a stage name. He legitimately is Yahoo Sirius. Interesting. Yeah. Although this movie was highly successful in Australia, and it won an award from the Australian Film Institute, it was poorly received by the critics in the U.S. It had a budget of $5 million, and it did actually make decent money. It got a box office of almost $25 million. That's still pretty solid turnover of your investment. Yeah. The cast, Yahoo Serious plays Albert Einstein, and he's not even worth talking about because this is the only thing he's ever really done that I recognize, that we recognize. And then there's no one else that was really in anything worth talking about. <laughs> yeah. Like, so I'm not even going to bring up the cast. Okay. <laughs> so, and we're just going to get started into the film. We start off 1905 in Tasmania. Uh, Albert gives us a little bit of narration, setting things up. Uh, the Einsteins are apple farmers. We actually see like this, you know, obviously it was a little person in a suit yes. uh, as a Tasmanian devil, which I wondered why they did that. They did like, basically they almost did like the cartoon version of the Tasmanian devil as opposed to actual, what an actual Tasmanian devil looks like. Well, so. <laughs> my, uh, so I kind of jump in with this. Uh, my kids actually did watch this with me. Okay. Um, in fact, actually I had already started it and they made me go back and start it over after they okay. started watching with me. And we got to that scene it was funny. My son goes, "Is that what a Tasmanian devil really looks like?" And my daughter goes, "No, it just looks like a giant rat." Yeah, <laughs> which is very true. Yeah. It's like a black and white giant rat. Yeah. <laughs> and we see, you know, Albert falling off a ladder. Uh, you know, some comical stuff here. It's, it's definitely a, there's farcical elements to this film. Uh, and he formulates that oh, for every action, there's an equal opposite reaction. It ties in a lot of these theorems that that yeah the real albert einstein einstein did I mean, this is this is a work of historical fiction i guess we didn't we kind of brought that up so this is an, a reimagining if you will completely yeah. of albert einstein's life to where he is from australia 
And yeah, he kind of, you know, just being complete, complete farcical historical fiction, but it's fine. I have no issues with that. Yeah. So he heads off. Uh, he wants to be builds a catapult for himself because I guess to test some of his theories and he launches himself and lands into the house on his mom's apple pie. Ha ha ha. Things fall apart. It's kid humor. I like, I do like that. They didn't linger on that. Like he's the second he lands on the pie, you, you kind of expect him to like them to like linger on him for a second, uh-huh. like him. But as like, as soon as he stands back up, they cut to him fixing the roof. And yeah. for some reason, I really liked that edit. I mean, yeah, he screws things up, but then he's got to try and fix it. Uh, he does kind of screw up a lot of things. He's kind of a screw up in this movie. Yeah. Um, not massively, but a little bit. Uh, I, I, this little scene here I thought was pretty funny. He's talking to his dad who wants him to like damn this entire like valley. And he's like, no, dad, I'm a pacifist. And then he humorously he chucks an apple over like the uh, edge of this cliff and it ends up hitting a bird, obviously <laughs> killing it, which I thought was like, okay, that's pretty funny. So, uh, his dad then takes him to his old granddad's shed and we see that his granddad is maybe almost like an inventor, but it's all about beer. And the problem with beer is is at this time, it lacked bubbles. And so, God, <laughs> and, that would not be enjoyable to drink. And mankind has never been able to put bubbles in beer, ever. <laughs> yeah, like that is the entire premise of this film is carbonation. Yeah. And they've never been able to carbonate anything. You know what? I'm going to look up the first carbonated beverage they've had beer they've had beer since ancient egyptian times yeah because like for because i think for in, in, in fermentation that's when uh you know you, you could probably start with that or you know but like uh, and then soft drinks came about in 1786 right. uh so <laughs> yeah first so def i mean definitely this is uh definitely not not correct but it's all right <laughs> it's historical fiction yep <laughs> so Anyway, but this is the whole thing is, you know, the the Einstein family uh, are intertwined with, you know, trying to get beer carbonated. And partly in my head was like, why don't they fucking make cider? Like they're they're in an apple orchard. Make some fucking cider. Like, I think that would have made a lot more sense than beer, but whatever. Uh, So they, you know, they're drinking some of their beer. They get a little drunk. Haha, it's kind of funny. He falls off a porch that night and wanders around singing Hava Nagila for literally no reason. That, that seems to, that did seem like an odd choice. Albert starts thinking about oh how to split the beer atom. That's what will get it carbonated is splitting the beer atom, which uh, ultimately leads him to come up with the theory E equals MC squared. I was with them up until the point where he said beer atom, yeah. and I was like, I was like, all right, I'm going to go on this wild journey with you, and I'm like, now you're being stupid. Yeah, now yeah. I mean, you lasted a lot longer than I did about <laughs> how far you're, you're willing to ride this idiocy with him, but anyway, he does split the beer atom with a chisel. <laughs> yeah. The fuck? <laughs> and it blows up his little grandfather's shed. Blows uh, the and he, fuck out of it. Yes, blows the fuck. I will say, one of the things that this film had going for it is its production value. Yeah. They, they I mean, the $5 million is a, you know, for, for a first film like this, that's a solid budget. Yeah. And they had good use out of it. I mean, the film itself looks pretty damn good. And they got good explosions and shit. So that was like, to me, I was like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Because he split the beer at him, he, he came, he had carbonated beer. I don't know how the fuck that worked, though. Like, literally, <laughs> it was, they went from explosion, and then he was holding, like, this glass of 
foamy beer with a good head. The dad even says, oh, it's got a good head on it. How the fuck does he even know what head is when they've never had a carbonated beer before? I don't know. It's a crazy world we live in, Adam. <laughs> it is. But yeah, obviously, and he's all kind of like covered in black soot kind of or whatever, you know, from Explosion Comical. Any cartoon does the same thing. So the dad sends Albert to the mainland. He wants to share the beer bubble discovery so he can patent it and make a shit ton of money for the Einstein family. And then we get a montage of him traveling to uh, the song The Great Southern Land by a band called Ice House. like that song i did too in fact i downloaded it as soon as i as soon as i was i was like oh man i'm getting that song yeah it just it felt like a good 80s song uh and i looked up the band they actually had uh multiple hits uh in the u.s they had one that hit number seven so they had a top 10 hit they had a 14 number hit on the billboard hot 100 and then four of the other songs that had made it into the billboard hot 100 i hadn't recognized any of the songs but all of them are the one couple that i listened to i was like okay this is solid I approve of this this group. Yeah. We cut to a train and we meet Preston Preston and Marie Curie. Now, obviously Marie Curie is uh based off of Marie Curie who discovered radiation. Yeah. And Preston Preston is is not a real person. Yes. Terrible name though. I I I I was wondering the whole time like you you've got all these other people. Why Preston Preston? I I don't know. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> But you can see that Preston is trying to impress Curie. Like, you know, he's she's a cute scientist and he's, uh, you know, trying to hit on her. Uh, Albert gets into their cabin on the train and it's they kind of talk uh, science stuff. You know, how sound moves in waves and how light moves in particles or waves. Actually, I didn't remember seeing that not too long ago. That was a debate uh, back in the day. I was like, how does light move? Is it in particles or is it in waves? And then it is kind of discovered that it moves in both waves and particles. So, cause it's not exactly kind of like, um, it doesn't just emanate from one spot, like a wave when you think it's actually kind of, uh, it has some different elements to it. So okay. anyway, um, and they all talk some other science stuff, which ultimately impresses Curie, you know, towards Albert Yeah. in the city. Albert goes to the patent office, which happens to be owned by Preston Preston. He's trying to patent his formula, but he, what is there to patent? It is literally just a formula. He has nothing. Now, granted, he should have brought his carbonated beer or had something like that, but he didn't. So he has nothing to patent, really, So they because they don't do formulas. And so then, uh, you know, he leaves that spot, uh, you know, a little bit disheartened. We get some sight gags here. I thought it was kind of funny where he sees uh, Marie on the street and he goes, hey, hey, and the whole barrels of hay cross in front of her. And then she kind of disappears because she <laughs> thinks... Someone else was saying some about the hay. <laughs> and then he turns and walks down Lonely Street yeah. as some sad music plays. And I thought that, okay, all right. Eh, you know, some funny-ish gags. Yeah. Uh, he gets a room in a shit hotel. We then see Preston and Marie are still kind of, I guess, hanging out there 
talking about stuff. She's, you know, thinking about his theory. And so obviously he's still on her mind, which ultimately gives Preston the idea to exploit Albert. That's what he's going to do. So he's obviously our villain. And uh, so very easily and quickly, I guess Albert went back to a, the a patent office and he drops off his formula and the guy, he has the guy hold on to it. Like, oh, we'll just hold on to this. It's like, okay, that moved very quickly to them now having his formula. And it really came from nowhere. I don't know why he even went back to the office. There was no explanation because he already got shot down. I don't know. I mean, he they do a play. He is very naive. Yeah, yeah. Fish out of water kind of mentality. Yeah, they definitely play that because he's a, a Bushman, yeah. you know, kind of thing. He's definitely from, uh, from the country. But Preston now kind of has that formula, and he gives it to another brewery to figure it out, to uh, try and make a shit ton of money from it. And at the hotel, uh, Albert, you know, listens to uh, kids playing in the street uh, and kind of hearing these beats. And he's now kind of realized he's inventing a new musical theory. He has invented music that rolls and rocks. He invents rolling rock <laughs> music. God damn it. Rolling rock was like the only beer I ever drank when I was in college. Because <laughs> our mom was a rolling rock fan. Yeah. Uh, she used to have it in the house every now and then. Um, and it's it's nothing special. I remember right. having it when I got older and I was like, oh, that's not really good. <laughs> it is what it is. Yeah. Uh, but there's a whole montage of Albert dancing and kind of working on the music, and he ends up creating an electric violin, which I see when the electric violin was created, because I bet it was before 1905 as well. Uh, I don't know that, because the electric guitar was not invented that early. Oh, okay, so pickups, yeah, may have not been at that time. Yeah, I mean, essentially, it's just a, you know, a pickup is just a microphone in another form. Uh. Sort of. In eighteen in eighteen seventy four, Alicia Gray, a brilliant American inventor, got the idea of electrifying a violin uh, uh, that he uh, conceived with a sound box. So, all right. Well, so you know what? It's enough. It's close enough to that time. Okay. This is not. I mean, I don't know why I'm trying to historically <laughs> break down this film and like you know call it out for its bullshit because it's obviously you know just farce. Yes. And then he uh, plays his electric violin in the tub, uh, which does not go well, of course. <laughs> He's playing a violin in his yeah. So uh, he brings his electric violin to the patent office, which they don't like. And so they kick him out. It is not the patent's office job to decide what they like or don't like. They issue patents. Well, yeah. And like, also, that was more of an invention than the other thing he brought in. I would think that would be something that they would be more excited about. Not that they need to be excited. You're right. It is not their job to to do that they just issued the patents so it, all they literally all patent offices oh has this been made before no can you patent it then here you go yes or no like does it check those two boxes <laughs> anyway they kick him out uh so he then goes to the university uh to try and find marie curie i have no idea why there was a sign that said no musical instruments and he had to drop <laughs> off his violin like that served zero purpose other than just to get rid of the violin yeah, I guess so. Like literally, maybe they had maybe they had to shoot that afterwards because they realized they shot that other scene earlier and he didn't have the violin with him, and so they had to find a reason for it to get it out of his hands. I I could totally see that being something. Because <laughs> it otherwise it, it literally didn't do anything for the story. Like nothing happened to the violin at that point. Um, you know, he gets it back after at the end of it. <sighs> I, that kind of thing frustrates me I'll, as a storyteller. Although I'll be honest with you. It, it was different enough in a scene where if he just all of a sudden didn't have the violin, I honestly wouldn't have questioned it. No, you're right. That, that's also part of it. No one would have given a shit. 
I mean, we would like, just assume that he had walked back, put his violin away, yeah. and then walked down to the thing. You're right, because time passed. After the patent office, yeah. It time passed enough, and he could have just gone to the uh, university. No big deal, but whatever. Uh, so he ends up talking to Marie and also does his formula again for the professor who ends up getting mad because he erased his board and, you know, whatever. <laughs> gets, gets him kicked out. Um, but he ultimately gets a date with Marie. And... While he's waiting for the for her to get to this picnic area, he starts dancing with Hare Krishna people. The fuck did that hat come from? I don't know. <laughs> like literally, that again made no goddamn sense. <laughs> uh, can you tell I'm frustrated with this one, John? <laughs> yes, which uh, which I love. Uh, you people, like you people that are just trying to like. I thought I thought we do movies that you know. It's yes, it's our nostalgia blast from our past, but our past is pretty mainstream. Damn it, <laughs> this weird shit. This I so. I'm telling you this movie was more mainstream than you think it was. Uh, I I'm so curious out there how many people remember this one and if this is is uh, something that they're remembering like you do and if they're nostalgic for it. I you know what I want to say that I actually have a memory of seeing this in the theater. I think we wow. actually saw it in the theater. Wow, so it was '88. So I mean, I was too young. I mean, if I was there, I was probably just a crying little three-year-old, right? Um, or two-year-old maybe, at this time. Yeah, maybe not. We definitely watched it somewhere because I remember watching it a lot. Maybe this this might have been one of the movies that the daycare center had, and so it's we possible that a lot. Although it's although it's that doesn't, enough. it doesn't seem like they would have shown because there's there's some there's some like back end nudity sort of. Yeah, I mean you get you get uh, Marie Curie in kind of like the lingerie scene, which was was kind of hot. Not gonna yeah. lie. <laughs> Later, so maybe but, this, this is one that we had recorded somewhere then. Yeah, maybe. Uh, but anyway, while on the date. He realizes another one of his theorems of, you know, oh, as you approach the speed of light, time slows. Sure. Yes. <laughs> Marie uh, writes to Preston, trying to basically, you know, beg him to accept Einstein into the patent office. So she gets him a job. So ultimately, Preston gives him a job. Later on, another scene, Preston ends up confessing his love for Marie. I, well, let's go back to the patent office. Yeah, kind of funny. You say naive. They, there's they definitely put in like some of those things where he doesn't. He's a super smart guy, but he doesn't understand regular things. And so they, yep. Preston gives him a job doing like accounting or uh, basically running numbers or something like that. It is just adding and subtracting, <laughs> and he can't figure that out. Yet he knows all this other stuff. Well, it might have been a play on the fact that uh, Einstein was self. You know, said that he was not very good at math. Okay, maybe. So uh, might have been very well. Could have been. Might have so. been a play on that. Uh, Preston confesses his love for Marie, who obviously she ain't into him, um, <laughs> but he's too obnoxious to notice that she doesn't like him. So uh, Albert then invents a surfboard. Uh, <laughs> that, part, and does that. that part was a bit much. Actually, my my daughter called that out. He was just he was literally like just looking at the log and she goes, is he going to make a surfboard? And then like as she was saying it, it cut to the scene where you can clearly see it's a surfboard. And yeah. she was like, oh, come on. Yep, and so a song, we get a song playing while he's surfing, uh, you know, uh, he sees Marie on the beach as well, and, you know, they're hanging out, but Preston notices them being very romantic, and so he's very upset, which ultimately leads him to fire Albert. <laughs> and I don't, I don't think Albert really cared. No, of course not. Uh, later, we see a newspaper that came out that... Um, Preston is now using the formula. They're going to make this, you know, the beer bubbly and they're going to, you know, unveil it at this science 
convention or whatever the hell it is. Symposium. Yeah, so yeah, whatever it is called. So um, obviously, Albert, knowing that splitting the beer at him uh, is volatile and can cause an explosion, you know, he goes in, tries to stop the company, um, tell them that it's dangerous, but he gets caught and they put him into a lunatic asylum. I thought a funny word is like, someone goes, you're crazy. And then immediately the nets come down. Yes, they come down, they capture him, and he get thrown into lunatic asylum. At least one of the person that he meets going, you know, who's also chained up going to the lunatic asylum is based on a real person. Uh-huh. A, one of the guys' name is Ernest Rutherford, who was a New Zealand physicist who actually won the Nobel Prize in chemistry huh. back in 1908. I don't, I didn't look up to see if he actually went crazy or anything like that, or they okay. just used his name. The other guy's name was Aspirin, and I, I didn't bother to look up if that was really based on do, or a it person was, or not. It was not. So okay. I didn't look him up. Yeah, they, his name was like John Aspirin or Bob Aspirin or Aspirin or something. It was literally just a play because he kept talking about, oh, I'm in here for drugs. Right. Ha ha ha. And then they, he said something about a headache later. Aspirin was not na- named or invented by someone named Aspirin. Okay. I didn't think so. <laughs> no. It was somebody I did because I looked that up. His name was like Huxley or some shit. Huckabee or something like that. And it's like, oh, why the fuck did they do that? Just for some very light aspirin gag. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so in the in the in that asylum, uh, we meet this head nurse who is like the main villain from the head nurse, but they didn't go far enough with it. Like literally, yes, she's angry and mad and big mean person and smashes his electric violin that I'm surprised they let him bring in there. Right. But like, ultimately they didn't really do much with that character. Like they set it up as like her, this big bad in the, in there. And it really went nowhere. And that bothered clearly played by a man. Yeah. 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 Obviously. (laughs) But yeah, I definitely intended to be like the nurse ratchet. Mm-hmm. character but you're right they didn't really do anything that was like the, yeah ultimately the only real scene that she was mean in yeah so uh we get some scenes you know him talking to fellow mad scientists having a debate on stuff on sciencey stuff marie obviously furious with preston that she that got got uh, albert uh, committed and she ends up sneaking into the asylum as his father ha 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 no <laughs> one could tell it was a female uh so they get there you know, of course, anytime this kind of thing happens, you're going to get an incest joke. Uh, so they <laughs> they end up making out pretty good, and someone says, "Ah, oh, they're a close family." I'm like, okay, that was obvious, but sometimes you steer into the obvious for a comedy. And, a, and in my opinion, a weirdly gratuitous shot of him putting his hand on her ass. Yeah, there was really they they did two of them. They did one where it slid onto the butt, and then another one where it kind of slid off. But it's like that was uh, completely unnecessary. Yeah, but yes. <laughs> so so anyway, you know, they talk in there, and she's trying to get him to, to do stuff, to be a man of action. You know, it's time to, you know, you, your formula is going to lead to blowing up an entire city, basically. And he's just like, well, I got to think about stuff. And now she's all upset that he won't do, and he only wants to think, and he's not of action. So she ends up leaving. That came out of nowhere as well for yeah, me. That part was a little weird. Yeah. So uh, Albert then creates this big-ass electric violin. Um <laughs> Okay, <laughs> then it which blows open the electric locks of the asylum, and now everybody's freed. And then here is one of the scenes uh-huh. where I re- where I remembered something. I was like, "Oh shit, that's gonna happen next." Literally, I saw like this uh, creepy chef that they had. Uh-huh. Literally, I saw him pick up kittens, and I'm like, "Oh shit, those are going in a pie." Yep. Like I just whatever it was, immediately I was like, "Oh fuck, he's gonna he's gonna put them in a pie," and he did. Now. Did they establish that this baker hated 
kittens and he <laughs> constantly fed kittens to people in there? No. I don't know where this came from, but there was a memory. So that's obviously, I see you nodding. Like this is something that oh, yeah. was obviously um, that you remembered as well. Absolutely. That, and I, I was waiting for it too. I was like, oh, I, I think this is coming. I knew it happened in the asylum. So I, uh-huh. I knew that was coming up. I've never understood the significance of the kittens. <laughs> yeah. I do remember that as a kid. And oh my gosh, when my daughter saw that scene, <laughs> I had to I had to reassure her that the pie that went in the oven didn't actually have kittens in it. <laughs> that it was a it was a it was a camera trick. They did they, they put the kittens mm-hmm. in for the one shot, but then they, it wasn't that for <laughs> so Yeah, I it's curious because it's a very quick little thing. It, it has zero significance to the story, but it is something that that stuck in my head. And I because I remember also like as like at one point he's gonna like cut little slit like pie holes as well on top of the kittens, yep. and he does that as well. And so it's just like, why did that one stick in my head? Like because it, it's obviously a scene that you were waiting for, and I'm sure our sister would remember it too because I'm sure she was haunted by it because <laughs> she's an animal lover. Yeah, but. Albert does end up saving the pie. He grabs that pie, you know, right at quickly after it was in the oven, uh, and he escapes. He does get away. You know, yeah, he kind of opens it up and saves the kittens once he gets like, you know, out out of out of the uh, asylum fully. Yeah, and okay. they're they're fine, despite yeah. the fact that the cover of the the crust of the pie had already cooked through. It cooked very quickly, <laughs> <laughs> like there is no way that that crust would have cooked that way. But it's okay, whatever. It's comic. It's comedy. Uh, he goes and sees Marie, who's apparently no longer there, all upset because of his lack of action, and she went back to France. Um, but she did leave a letter at the hotel, uh, which I haven't really mentioned the hotel whores uh, <laughs> um, and the, the main guy. Yeah. It is kind of funny. I kind of liked how at first, you know, it was just like a shitty-ass hotel, uh, and there was, you know, some some strumpets that, worked, that, that lived there or kind of hooked there, if right. you will. And then... Because of Albert and his love of science, they all got really into the science stuff and were starting to bait shit themselves. Yeah. And I thought, I was like, okay, that's kind of funny. Yeah. Uh, so, yes. So, trying to be this man of action, he goes to France to get her. We get some, uh, we then see this science academy. We get some historical inventor jokes in there. Just some stuff. Different different people. If you kind of knew who these people were, it'd be a little funnier for you. Uh, Einstein, you know, starts stepping up his action. He's trying to get Marie at her house. And... You know, at first, you know, it's not really working, but he just, he keeps trying and he acts all manly, kind of strange, but he gets her to go and takes her to the Science Academy, uh, which they have Charles Darwin as like this most distinguished scientist in, in the world, which kind of surprised me. I mean, yeah, he's awesome, but he's like leading the Science Academy. Right. It was strange that Darwin died in 1882 and this was the 1906 awards. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. But anyway. Darwin, you know, introduces Preston Preston, who is going to invent bubbly beer, the greatest invention, obviously, of the the modern times, who unveils his whole new, you know, bubbly beer invention. Anyway, whatever. Um, Albert and Marie go in via hot air balloon, some gag about, you know, he doesn't land properly and it kind of has to crash. Right. I hate it. I hated that. The farting balloon joke. Yeah, exactly. So they get there in time to tell them that the invention that he's got is actually... An atomic bomb. Oh, no. Uh, but Preston, not giving a fuck, still pulls the lever. And so it's just building up all of this energy. All this because energy, John, equals uh, the mass times the speed of light squared. Yeah, exactly. Or whatever the hell it is, just in case you're curious. E equals MC squared. The energy needs to be released where it would just blow up and, you know, be released that way. Instead, 
he grabs his big ass electric violin but now he's holding it as a, as a guitar and he plugs it into the bomb and he's going to drain the energy through his rocking john <laughs> but can he rock that hard oh i think he can Yes, crikey, yes! It's four, four time! Four, four time! That'll drain the power out of anything. It's working! Whatever you are doing, keep doing it! It's working! They made such a big deal that he's like switching it to four four time, as if four four time was a new invention in in the early like. I can get four four time had to be done way before that, right? Oh, hundreds of years, <laughs> possibly thousands. Well, four four time as we think of it in four four time at that point would be hundreds, if not like maybe a thousand years or so, like that. Yeah, in, in terms of like the way that we write it down and that sort of thing. Yeah. Because musical time time signatures have been around for a while. Music has been around for a yes. long time. For some reason, only only rock can be made in 4-4. Uh, and only 4-4 pertains to hard rocking music. Which actually, if you listen to any of our album reviews, John and I break down rock music plenty. And some <laughs> of our most interesting, good rock songs don't fit into 4-4. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, but whatever. He's rocking really hard. And Preston is going to shoot him because evil, I guess. Uh, but Marie stops him, which ultimately the gunshot goes off and it hits the machine. And so he can't release all everything properly. And ultimately it starts, he starts absorbing all the energy. And here is the second scene that I remembered. That was kind of, kind of clicked into me. Like when he started kind of like getting all that red energy and he kind of started spazzing out and then he ended up being like fully kind of cooked and had like the, again, that whole kind of like black ash all over his body. Um, and he ends up saving the day and kissing Marie. I, that I kind of remembered. Okay. Another little, it just another little thing. was like, okay, I have seen this before. Yeah. So he saved the day. He rocked just hard enough. Uh, even though there was a bit of explosion, but he saved the town he returns to Marie in Tasmania, uh, and there's a whole kind of parade with him. A, a little bit of atomic bomb humor about trusting the governments. Yeah. I did kind of like that line. <laughs> yeah. Dad? Mom? Mary? I've decided to donate my theory to all the nations of the world to be used peacefully for the benefit of all mankind. But Albert, what if the governments of the world use your theory to make atomic bombs? Mary, if you can't trust the governments of the world, then who can you trust? And then in front of this crowd of Australian people, he starts playing some rock and roll music, uh, which uh, that song was actually done by Chuck Berry, but the cover is actually done by Mental as Anything, which is an Australian band. I think I've actually heard of that band. Okay. 
Uh, yeah, they actually they seem like they had a bunch of albums when I kind of looked them up. Okay, but all, all the ladies are like loving it, you know, kind of <laughs> kind of Beatlemania almost. Very much so. Einstein mania. And that is the end of Young Einstein, and they have a little dedication to the actual Albert Einstein at the end. And um, yeah. there wasn't much substance with this movie, and so there wasn't much substance substance to my breakdown. And we flew through it, but I don't know where to start, John. Do you want me to start, or do you want you I to start? I want you to start. Okay. I will begin with what this film had going for it. I appreciated that it didn't take itself seriously. It was obviously farcical, you know, just silly comedy fiction. You don't have to take this stuff too seriously. And I like farcical comedies. Mm-hmm. I have no issues with it. I would also add there was an innocent charm to the film. Mm-hmm. There was a like a legitimate, I would say even with Yahoo Serious, there was an innocent charm to him as Albert Einstein and to the film as a whole because of that. I want to add in the production value. As I already said, they had some real explosions. They had some real stuff going on. The The film itself looked good mm-hmm. for like an independent movie I hadn't really even remembered. Um, it had that. The soundtrack was solid. We talked about some of the songs. There was, besides even some of the ones we didn't mention, there was other good like 80s new wave kind of style um, and some punk in there. And so I appreciated all that. Yeah. What it had against itself. <laughs> this movie's a piece of shit, John. <laughs> It's not fucking good. Like, it's just so ridiculous. The story doesn't make any fucking sense. Even as a historical fiction farce, it doesn't make any fucking sense. I couldn't follow it properly because they just went out like all over the place. Like, it, it moved too quickly without having any understanding of anything. I don't want to see this piece of shit ever again in my life. It's fucking awful. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's trash. It's a garbage movie. Well, just as you were kind of breaking it down, I was curious. I went on Rotten Tomatoes because I wanted to see what was the, you know, the tomato meter for this. It's not mm-hmm. the worst film we've reviewed. Okay. Uh, this actually has a 36% on the tomato oh, wow. meter and a 50% on the audience score. Okay. So, I mean, hey, are we split with us? Yeah. I'm kind of curious because uh, I definitely fall in the 50 that this not not a fan. I was afraid that it was going to be an absolute piece of shit. I actually found it wasn't that bad. Okay. My kids laughed through most of the movie, which I think plays to the real audience of this film, which is kids, where they don't care about the storyline so much. Mm -hmm. My my son kept laughing at stuff all throughout, and, and actually my daughter did too. Um, and so that that also helped to make it more enjoyable for me because when they're enjoying it, then it's kind of validating my nostalgia, as it were. Yeah, there I mean, there were definite slow parts, or there were definitely parts that made no sense. I should say it wasn't that they were slow. They did it did move pretty quickly, but uh, I it wasn't as bad as I rem- or that I thought it was going to be. I think it was it was definitely worth going back to revisit for all of the kind of remember because there were a lot of scenes that I was like, oh, I remember this. I know what's going to happen now. I remembered a lot more about it than I thought I did. In my head, I was like, oh, there's going to be the kitten scene. There's going to be the electrifying scene at the end. And then I kind of remembered the scene of him like sitting in the bathtub with the violin. Okay. And that was like the big things I'd thought of. And past that, I actually started to remember a lot more stuff as it was going on. So you expected this to be awful. Why did you put this on our list, John? Like, are you literally you just trying to torture me? I am, we are revisiting nostalgic movies, and I definitely had a nostalgic love. I loved this movie when I was a kid, 
So okay. I definitely had a nostalgic love for it. Um, I'm not. I'm not naive to think that some of these movies are going to be great seeing them again 20, 30 years later. So for this one, and you know what? I think enough other people were like, oh, that's a horrible movie that it kind of influenced my thinking. I think they're wrong. I don't think it's a horrible movie. Mm-hmm. It's got a lot of flaws, but I think overall it is, as you mentioned, it is charming and generally it pretty the, funny. It has the charm. I'd be lying if I didn't say there weren't like a couple times I giggled a little. <laughs> one A gig. One gig came out, you know? <laughs> so, But overall... I say for the vast majority, unless, you know what, unless you are like John and you have kids and you think like that fits into their style, you're right. That would have, I would have enjoyed seeing them laugh too. So. All right. Now we are going to talk Tasmania. This show Ran from 1991 to 1995, four seasons, 65 episodes, and it ran on Fox Kids. And it's got a great cast of just fantastic voice artists. Uh, Characters like Taz, Bushwhacker Bob, and Wendell T. Wolf were all voiced by Jim Cummings. Gene, Tasmanian Devil, was voiced by Miriam Flynn, who did voices on the Land Before Time series later on. DuckTales, Babe, bunch of stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. Hugh and Drew, uh, also from the Tasmanian family, voiced by Maurice LaMarche. I don't need to mention, you know, we've talked about him plenty. Yeah. He's an amazing uh, voice guy. Dog the Turtle, Didgeridingo, and Francis Bushland, all voiced by Rob Paulson. We've talked about him damn near as many times as we've talked about Frank Welker. I was honestly... We have been on a non-Frank Welker streak, and it is making me sad. <laughs> like, we haven't mentioned him in a long time, and it's it's just making me upset. I was hoping that he was going to be on here, because a lot of these, you'll see him with a lot of these names as well, yeah. uh, but he wasn't. And so I was just like, God damn it, I need some Welks. <laughs> just had to throw that in there. Okay. Uh, Molly was voiced by Kelly Martin, who voiced Roxanne in a Goofy movie, and okay. she was also in ER. Uh, she voiced Daphne in a pup named Scooby-Doo. And then other great names, Dan Castellaneta, uh, who's Homer Simpson, uh, not in this show, but his voice, he lent his voice, uh, Debbie Derryberry, we've mentioned her many times, mm-hmm. Arlene Sorkin, who did the voice very famously of Harley, uh, Harley Quinn uh, from the animated series, she did a voice on here, and then John Astin, uh, who we talked about a little bit with the, uh, the Addams Family yep. uh, way back in the day, he was the father of Sean Astin. Well, adopted father. Adopted father of Sean Astin, but he lends his voice uh, to one of the uh, the crocodiles yeah. in this one. The character of Taz first appeared in 1954. Uh, it's a Looney Tunes property and was originally voiced by the legendary Mel Blanc. Yeah. Mel Blanc. So, I mean, this is, you know, this is a favorite character, I think, for a lot of people. Uh, you know, he's, he's, he's a side character. He's just kind of ridiculous. Makes these weird sounds. What is just kind of you know very um not non-intelligent with a lot of stuff but the show you see more of the intelligence you're getting you're, you're getting that background of the tasme <laughs> taz's family life yeah uh so he's uh he's like the oldest of like three or four kids and you see his dad and mom all of them speak perfect english and yes. very um enunciate you know but he he just kind of still speaks in his very kind of bestial wild sounds 
which is kind of strange, but kind of funny, I guess. I guess. I mean, to me, it, it to me it completely invalidates him <laughs> as a character because <laughs> now he just looks like an idiot. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. And the show, it almost was kind of like a spinoff of Animaniacs. It at least feels like it. It was from those same same group. It was produced by the same group of people. Uh-huh. But what made it feel like a spinoff is because of that opening title. Welcome to Atlantis Way, under, down, under. The sky's always yellow in rain or shine. Down to Tasmania, come to Tasmania. When Totsy needs Tubby, they start to spin like a Tasmanian devil in his closest kin. Down in Tasmania, come to Tasmania. Mom's alive, why are dads never born along? Molly's all fired up, or Jake plays with the dog. Down in Tasmania, come to Tasmania. Didgeridingo and Wendell T. Wolf. Francis X. Bush, lad, is never uncouth. Bushwagger Bob and his mother, Gold Mom. Cotton's a thick just want to have fun Well, Gator and Axel are always left sore If you have a deal, just call Buddy Ball The Paribus Brothers are back and about The Kiwi, the Bushrats, and we left anyone out Oh yeah, don't forget Taz He put the Taz in Tasmania Down in Tasmania, come to Tasmania We mean you! Like, the opening title actually had Jess Harnell basically doing the voice of what was it wacko that he does as kind of like um explaining things in that opening song and Jim Cummings saying you know uh, doing the voices of Taz making sounds in there right. and so part part of me is like I don't remember Taz being that much in Tiny Toon Adventures or Animaniacs they just kind of all of a sudden just tied all these together it's like if you were a Looney Tunes property you were going to have a reboot uh show in that mid 90s time that, yeah Whenever I think of the intro, I only ever think of the come to Tasmania, come to Tasmania, that's part. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah, which is catchy, Um, but, you know, it's they had kind of similar enough, I would say, with Animaniacs as well. They had um, a bunch of different characters, you know, new characters that you'd never seen before, and you just kind of like, you know, you you get situational stuff with them, like unlike Animaniacs where... Animaniacs is chock full of like little shorts. Right. You get like, all right, here's a pinky in the brain. Here's a, you know, of the Animaniacs. Here's a Elmira or whatever. That made that was Tiny Toons. But, you know, like those, they had like little shorts of each one. This one actually was much more of like a sitcom. Right. Like it had storylines that went through the entire episode. And the whole thing, like that's what you stayed on. And you had these other characters that would come in and out and, and you'd kind of meet them. So it was, it was definitely a sitcom, um, situational comedy uh, style. I have nothing else to talk about this show. I, I watched basically, I would say, two half episodes. That's about what I watched, too. I watched enough of an episode to be like, all right, I get the vibe, but I'll start another one just to see if it's any better. And it wasn't any better. No, I I just, like, the problem here is that Taz is supposed to be the main character, but the fact that he doesn't talk makes it hard for him to be a main character for a whole, you know, 22 minutes of a show. Him on Looney Tunes showing up as a foil for someone or just in a little short by himself is fine. But then he doesn't he's not really the main character in his own show. Mm-hmm. Because everyone else is giving all the exposition. Yeah. And so, yeah, I kind of I found that I I didn't like really like it. Taz isn't necessarily been my favorite of the Looney Tunes characters, but I, you know, I didn't hate it when he would come on. But him as a whole show just to me didn't work. Honestly, I was shocked that they made it what four or five seasons, however long it was. Yeah, 
four seasons. Yeah, I, I was actually thinking the exact same thing because um, yeah, I watched yeah those little bits and I was like, who wants to follow this? Like, <laughs> I I don't give a fuck about this character. You're right. Everything you said about him coming in for like a side little thing is is hilarious. You know, he comes in, fucks up stuff, and leaves. But for an entire show, like, I just don't care about him. I think there were some times where, like, he would break the fourth wall and, like, talk very eloquently. And so, yeah, there are some aspects of that. But, like, for the main part of the show, he was just kind of wild. And I cared more about the rest of his family than him. And yet, shit followed him. And it was like, 65 episodes? Who the fuck wants to watch 65 episodes of this? (laughs) Like, no. It it would Honestly, I think it would have been better if they stuck to their formula uh, with Tiny Toon Adventures and uh, and Animaniacs, like have little shorts. I don't want the situational comedy. Like bring in like the family and you know do stuff like that. But like let's follow each of those other little kind of side characters into small little things. And I would have probably appreciated that. get get breaks from Taz more than than what we got. And I because I needed less of Taz on Tasmania. That yeah, that's fair. Yeah, ultimately, unless you are a diehard Taz fan, I would say <laughs> skip this. Yeah. This episode of the Blast from Our Past podcast is not brought to you by... Looks like Taz just got his AT&T phone bill. Taz, don't you make a lot of calls on Sunday? Yeah, Taz call, Taz call. Then you didn't see our five cent Sundays. It's just five cents a minute every Sunday. AT&T charges three times as much. Let's call 1-800-SUNDAY. Become an MCI customer. Yeah. All right. This episode is going to be what it is. We're moving quite right along. Yep. All right. And now we're going to do the casting boards of the show. As mentioned, we are going to recast Young Einstein using actors of today. I actually like my casting for this. I do as well because I went a very specific route. I kind of did as, as well. I'll just kind of give you, I relocated young Einstein to the American South. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I didn't stick to Australia either. Okay. Well, mostly because I knew I wasn't going to be able to do a, a good enough casting of Australian actors. Uh-huh. Gotcha. Uh, at least in the age ranges I needed. So I was like, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to relocate this so I can kind of, because I don't, I don't want someone using... A fake Australian accent, which is funny because I have at least one Englishman in here, which and I have no problem with them doing an American accent. Yeah, but I didn't fair. want anyone trying to do a fake Australian accent, and so I'm going to relocate it to somewhere in the American South, maybe Kentucky, maybe Tennessee, and instead of beer, they're going to make whiskey. There you go. Hey, I like that. Uh, I'm not sure how we're going to tie in the bubbles or something, but we'll we'll figure that out. <laughs> okay, figure that out in a meeting. Uh, we are going to do uh, just a small handful of characters because. Uh, there were quite a few of re- roughly recurrent, returning characters, but the only ones that I felt were important were obviously Albert, uh, his parents, Mr. and Mrs. Einstein, who I don't think they ever get first names, and then Mary Curie and Preston Preston. So we'll start with our big bad, Mr. Preston Preston. I will go ahead and start with mine. I had an initial thought I was like, oh, this character kind of reminds me of the dude from Downton Abbey. So I originally put Hugh Bonneville. And I was like, mm-hmm. no, no, no. I'm trying to stick with American 
overall, general themes. I was like, and Hugh Bonneville is a little bit older, so I want to, because that would be really creepy having Hugh Bonneville hit on who I picked for Mary Curie, because she's a little bit, <laughs> well, she's actually, I think she's actually about your age, Adam, so that's not that's not horrible. Um, okay. But I, I ended up switching to a different actor um, who, I guess he's older now, but the dude's got a young face, so, but he's played very good kind of annoying, like bad guys that are bad, but not necessarily like evil and i went with rob lowe oh okay yeah rob lowe i mean yeah rob lowe is like what he was probably born in 64 yeah so he's pretty but he doesn't he does look younger and i could totally see him as like a upscale businessy douche yeah i mean you totally get those vibes from uh wayne's world yeah yeah absolutely so i i to me i thought that okay this will be a pretty easy enough uh transition over to this sort of character uh and and tommy was it tommy boy yeah, also Tommy Boy. Tommy Boy, also Tommy Boy. Yeah. Yep. Um, and then he and he didn't necessarily play a bad guy in Parks and Rec, but I did find his character to be a little bit annoying <laughs> in Parks and Rec. Yeah. yeah. So, fair enough. I I think that fits. Okay. And you can kind of you can totally kind of kind of play with age ranges. Yeah. With Rob Lowe. So. Uh, all right. Who did you go with? I'm gonna just start off in saying the style of my film. Uh, so you set yours in the South. I didn't really pick a setting of mine. You could, you could honestly, nah, probably not do Australia. Uh, maybe, maybe, probably in the U.S. Um, I would say maybe the anywhere in the U.S. would really fit me. Maybe more in like the New Yorky area. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. But doesn't really matter. But as long as it's probably a U.S. person or U.S. setting, mm. uh, and also mine's a musical. Okay, because I set mine. It's like, how can I make this movie good? <laughs> It's not good. It's a piece of shit. I need. I want to make it a musical because I like musicals. And who kicks ass at historical musicals? Well, that Hamilton one was pretty damn good. <laughs> so I will say, start off by saying my director and writer for this film is obviously Lin-Manuel Miranda. <laughs> okay. And that, that absolutely um, motivated with a lot of my choices okay. for this film. All right. Okay. Now, this actor has not done something with Lin-Manuel Miranda to my knowledge, but he can definitely sing. He can definitely do what is needed as an actor. He's a really strong actor. I would, I think he can definitely do villain stuff. Not so good was he as our uh, Electro, but an overall strong actor and good singer. My Preston Preston is Jamie Foxx. That's an interesting call. The, with the change in style, I'd mm-hmm. want to see, uh, is this going to be hip hop focused? Um, there, there might be. I mean, I mean, it, I mean I, it probably if, with and with Jamie Foxx, you can get all some R and B stuff in there as well. Yeah. So, yeah, exactly. I think, I think, exactly. It's gonna. I'm not sure exactly the setting. I'll leave that up to the writer. But <laughs> there, it's going to be. It's eclectic. I'm trying to have some eclectic okay. vibes. All right, I'm not against that. Um, okay. Uh, Jamie Jamie Foxx is one of those actors who, when he when he gives us a good performance, it's a great performance. Sometimes I see stuff where I'm like, ew. <laughs> yeah, he, he'll sometimes just rain it in or just kind of like phone it in for the paycheck. Right. But when he when he brings it, he brings it. Absolutely. Hard. So hopefully he would not just do this one for the paycheck. Maybe the maybe yeah. the hopes of working with Lin Manuel Miranda would be uh, motivation yeah. enough. Yep. Uh, all right. Uh, I had Mary Curie next on the list, but let's save her for closer to the end. Sure. Let's go ahead and go with uh, Mom. Mrs. Einstein, who did you go with? I didn't go with someone who was um, who had worked with Lin Manuel Miranda before, but she absolutely kicks butt in the musical world. 
in particular, I'm talking about this awesome movie called The Greatest Showman. Uh, she was phenomenal as the bearded lady. I went with Kayla Settle. I am all for that. If, if you're doing a musical and you, you need that kind of that kind of I, I don't want a body stereotype, but that kind of rounded yeah. woman. I did want to, yeah, exactly. But I could totally see her as like the mom to the protagonist. Um, she'll you, you're going to have to give her a great song because um, yeah. she she killed it uh, with her song in, in that one. I honestly I think that. That song probably stole the show away from you, yeah, Jackman, yeah. as far as singing goes. I, I don't think I don't think that would that's something Hugh Jackman would have minded, um, especially if it was sold, selling tickets to get people in in the door. So yeah, exactly. So. I'm all for that. Cool. The whole time I was watching the movie, there were there were two actors that I was kind of like in my head. I was watching this. I was like, they remind me of these two people. Other, yeah, and so I kind of did one to ones with them. They're not; it's not an exact one to one, but I get the same vibes with them. And so for my Mrs. Einstein, I went with Kathy Najimy. Oh yeah, I totally see what you mean. One hundred percent see what you mean with um with the mother in that film and Kathy and Najimy. Kathy Najimy's yeah. a great comedic actress, so she yes. could ham it up however she wants to do it. So I I really was like, I kind of was like, oh, I could, I could do like Melissa McCarthy. I was like, no, Melissa McCarthy's a little too much. I need someone who can be subdued, yeah. uh, but funny. And so to me, uh, Kathy Najimy, I thought would work perfect for this sort of style that I'm going for. Wholeheartedly, I think it's a great kind of yeah one to one ratio. But she she amps it up to from from you know you've you've got a better actress than what you had before, mm -hmm. and probably a better comedic actress than there was in the actual. But it's not yeah she's not going to sometimes Melissa McCarthy kind of just like it's her scenes are become look at me look how crazy I am right and I you're right you don't need that Kathy and Jimmy is perfect that's a great great call okay cool. All right, well, let's go to Mr. Einstein, and I'll go ahead and jump in with mine since I was just talking about Kathy and Jimmy. Um, there was another actor who kind of reminded me of the one who played, I think his name was Pee Wee Wilson, was the guy who played. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> I don't know what the age difference is between this actor and Kathy and Jimmy, but it doesn't matter. We can make him look a little older if we need to. But the guy is goofy and I, I think is an actor that we we're, we need to see more of outside of his brother's movies, which he's been playing a big part in, and I went with Sean Gunn. Uh, you know what? I started typing in the second you said his brother's movies, because he does have that quirky look. Um, he is 20... No, no, no. Seven, 16? No, no. 18? I, I, I can't do the math. What? 17 years younger than Kathy and Jimmy, and I don't think it matters. I don't think it matters. You know, there's, there's, there's makeup, and Sean Gunn actually is really good with makeup, Yeah. so... <laughs> That, that fits well for him. He is funny, and I wholeheartedly agree that I, I wouldn't mind seeing him in more stuff. Yeah. Outs, you know, outside of the sort of superhero one, I, I want to see him do some more. I know There was something else I think that he was in that was popular. I cannot remember what it was. I don't remember if his brother was involved in that one. But gotcha. uh, I think, you know, the silliness of, of Sean Gunn and the comedic uh, abilities of Kathy and Jimmy together would, mm -hmm. would be able to play up the kind of thing that I'm looking for. And now that I'm thinking about it, Maybe I could make this a limited series instead of just a movie. Oh, interesting. The 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 wild and crazy times of young Einstein. Cuz then I <laughs> then I could get some more of them cuz I actually the parent uh -huh. his relationship with the parents was one part that I I liked a lot in the movie. I thought was yeah. funny. And so I I wanted to see more of that other than just at the beginning and the end. 
Yeah, cool. All right. Cool with that. Who did you go with for your musical? Yes, my Mr. Einstein. Um, I, I didn't think too hard on this one. Mine's not a good one-to-one. And he worked really well opposite of Kayla Settle. And I, I just want to see them together again. I went with Hugh Jackman. Okay. I mean, why not? I loved him in Greatest Show, and we know Hugh Jackman can sing because he sings in a lot of stuff. Yeah. And, I, you know, why not? put them together. Yeah. I'm cool with that. I would love to see uh, uh, Hugh Jackman play like an old country bumpkin of some kind. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That'd be interesting. I mean, yeah, I mean, because they're, they're going to be exactly urban or sorry, rural, wherever mindset. Right. So I think, yeah, I think it totally works. Cool. I'm I'm for it. Uh, all right, let's go to Mary Curie. Uh, I am actually going to go to you first. Okay. So uh, I was looking through some of my kind of musically talented people, and um, initially my first kind of thought was, well. Greatest Showman, Zendaya. That makes a bunch of sense. <laughs> but then I was like, you know what? I've used her enough. Yeah. I said, fuck that. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> uh, ultimately, so I went back to Hamilton, or I went to Hamilton, and I picked, uh, I didn't want to pick Philippa Sue, who is a, who's phenomenal. Like yeah. her song Burn was just uh, chills, kind of. Yeah. But, and she's right at the same, or, you know, one year, it was one year older than my Albert Einstein. But this person, I think, is actually two years older than my Albert Einstein. That doesn't matter. They're all, they're close in age. And I don't know if this this one person gets enough credit from Hamilton because she's silly at the beginning, but when she comes back as a very sensual character who ends up kind of ruining the marriage of uh, <laughs> Hamilton, she is sexy as hell. Uh, but she all and she sings phenomenally. I went with Jasmine Cephas Jones, who uh, plays Peggy Schuyler uh, at the beginning, and then plays the um, uh, the lady that seduces Hamilton in the uh, second half. Okay. Um, yeah. I, other than Hamilton, I'm not familiar with much of her work, but mm-hmm. I did love her in in Hamilton. I thought that was a, a, a great role, so I'm I'm here for it. And she can obviously sing, so well, I'm good there. Yep, we're doing good. I I actually went with a French actress. Okay, it was hard finding a French actress that I was familiar with that was like younger than forty. So uh, there's a little bit of an age gap in real life between my Mary Curie and my Albert Einstein, but she she still looks young enough that uh, I'm not that worried about it. She has been in a, a few movies that I'm familiar with, and only one movie that I've actually seen, but she was in uh, James Bond Spectre, uh, and okay. her name is Leia. I'm going to say, I'm going to guess that it's Sedu, Sedu. S-E-Y-D-O-U-X. She is definitely French, looking at her name, <laughs> and some of the other films that are very French. I, I, You know, I never saw Midnight in Paris. I'm not a big Woody Allen fan, but I heard Midnight in Paris, Paris was really good, uh, so maybe I need to check that one out. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, cool. I'm, I'm, I knew... I don't know enough, but I, I think I'm like, sure she could do I it. I knew it was going to be underwhelming because I picked an actress that I figured you probably weren't all that uh, familiar with. Yeah, I'm not, but I mean, I'm totally cool with this. Okay. Uh, all right, now we've got to our main character, and I'm going to go first because I'm going to be honest. My young Einstein was the one character that I was least okay. confident in, mostly because I had a hard time finding someone with the same sort of characteristics as Yahoo Serious in that sort of mid to young 20s age, which is kind of what I was looking for. Because mm-hmm. he, you know, he needs to be young enough to be believable that he's still at home at the beginning of this, and he is kind of naive. So, I jumped around to f- try and find a lot of people. 
I needed somebody who was kind of lanky. If I'm going for the same sort of vibe that Yahoo series puts out, I need someone who was kind of lanky um, and could be funny and is still kind of in that kind of younger, not younger, well, kind of youngish age. So, I mean, the guy that I picked, I think, is about 24 right now. But he is a good actor. Um, and he is British. This was the one time I didn't find someone who is not, well, I mean, other than obviously for Leah Sadu for that, but playing where I was making these guys America. Um, but he he still looks young because he's currently playing a high school student on TV. But I think he's a good actor and could be silly enough to do it. I went with Aza Butterfield. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, we we he is someone that we'll kind of go back to, yeah. Um, you know, as a kid actor because he's good. He, I mean, we both liked him in Hugo, and he's he's continued to be a good actor continuously. Yeah. Um. Uh. I haven't. I haven't. Uh, I stopped watching the show after the first season, but he was really good in Sex Education, which I think is still going on on Netflix. Okay. Where he plays a high school student, but he's like twenty four now. But he he does look yeah. young. Yeah, yeah, he's definitely got that that look. So I'm not going to shit on him as an actor because I've liked him in pretty much everything I've seen him in. Okay, all right. Well, then uh, wow me with your with your pick. I don't expect to wow okay. you with my pick. Um, <laughs> my guy's even older because uh, he's 30 right now, but he does play and he looks younger. Um, maybe I'll wow you because you've used him before, and ultimately my reasoning is I'm giving this to Lin Manuel Miranda. Who is someone that Lin Manuel Lin Manuel Miranda can direct and direct well, mm-hmm. and he's done it in multiple movies? I went with Anthony Ramos. Okay, he he looks young. He's you know he played he played uh, Hamilton's kid in the in the first movie as well as um, John Lawrence, who died. So yes. I just think you know he's got a young look. He's good with the musicals. He's gonna be my boy. All right, uh, I'm I'm fine with that. Uh, he's definitely got all of the cred in the world for for musicals. Um, he was in In the Heights. I didn't bother watching that one. I I want to. I just haven't gotten to the time yet because yeah. a lot of my enjoyable time, my time used where I would watch a movie or other stuff, other than when I do when I watch movies by myself and whatnot, I, it ends up going towards the podcast, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> stuff like that. The times that I'm watching stuff when I'm watching it with my wife is always the shit that like, you know, she is far pickier than right. I am. And so we typically watch the same stuff um, that she likes. We're watching like Superstore or Brooklyn Nine-Nine or MasterChef or other stuff that, that she likes to watch with me. Right. But she's not, she doesn't like to try a lot of this kind of stuff. Like she, she wouldn't give a fuck about it in the Heights. So I haven't had the time for it, Yeah, but I'll get to it eventually. Okay. I, yeah. I'm totally fine with that. All right, cool. I, I, I think uh, a musical version would definitely be interesting. Uh, Lin Manuel Miranda head, you know, spearheaded version would be yeah. great. So I'm fine with all that. There we go. All right. Woo. I've made Young Einstein good. We'll say better. <laughs> <laughs> good. All right, folks. That was our recasting of Young Einstein. Please join us next time for a super funny episode. John and I are joined by Matt Mitchell from It's a Southern Thing YouTube channel. You might know his stuff. He does the Bless Your Rank stuff. He does their skit stuff. He's all over there. He is hilarious. And we all talk our top 10 90s sitcom theme songs. 
If you have any questions or comments, you can reach us at blastfromourpast at gmail.com. And if you want to suggest a movie or TV show from your childhood or to be a guest on the podcast, go over to patreon.com backslash blastpastcast and pick a tier that works for you. To find us on social media, search for at blastpastcast. So until next time, I'm John. And I'm Adam. And thanks for joining us. See you next time. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Talking Back, the podcast where we like to chat about past achievements in movies, comics, video games, and more. I'm your host, Tim, and with me today in studio is co-host Oh, hey, Dean. hey, Tim. Dean. Huh? Uh, this isn't a full episode. This is actually just an ad. All we have to do is tell everyone that our podcasts come out on Mondays and they can find us on their favorite podcatcher. If they're into movies, comics, or video games, they should definitely check us out. Oh, Well then, thanks everybody for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Talking back.